Hello and welcome back to Party Line Chat. My name is Michael Finney. Today we've got a group of folks hanging out, ready to talk about Duro Dogs. Will you please introduce yourselves one more time? Hey, Michael. Thanks for having us. Uh, I'm Jack Lasky. I'm the CEO of Nifty Jigs. And Nifty Jigs is the creator of the game Duro Dogs. And I'm very honored to be joined here by a lot of the folks, uh, both my co-founder at Nifty Jigs, Dave, and also a number of folks who've had a big role in making Nifty Jigs and making DuraDocs possible. So really excited for conversation today. Hey guys, uh, my name is Brandon and I'm an engineer at Handcash. And Handcash is the wallet that um, kind of powers DuraDocs um, that enables micropayments and NFTs through the run protocol. And I was the lead engineer um, integrating the run protocol into the Handcash wallet. Hey everyone, my name is Brenton. I'm the uh, creator of Run, the protocol that uh, is powering Duradogs. And it's really cool to see because I think um, from the beginning we wanted to get integration with different wallets. And I think games were like always the goal from the beginning. And so this is like in a lot of ways the culmination of you know a lot of thinking and, and work for a long time. You know, of course, brought to life by uh, Durodogs and Handcash team. So yeah. Hey guys. Hey Michael, thanks for inviting me on. Uh, my name is Dave Mullenmore. I am the aforementioned co-founder of Durodogs and Nifty Jigs. Excited to get kind of into what we've been up to and what we're working on a little bit more today. All right, I'll go next. Um, I'm T38, or Taylor. I am an employee of Hector Lopez on Twitter Spaces, and there I promote Duradogs. But all joking aside, um, I'm Taylor from Built by Gamers, strategic advisor there on helping them. Uh, they're an esports organization, helping them uh, integrate Bitcoin SV blockchain into their fan engagement platform and I spend a lot of time on Twitter spaces. So I love talking a lot. Dan, your turn. What's up everybody. My name is uh, Dan Wagner. I am the co-founder of Haste Arcade, which is a gaming platform that uses micropayments to reward people for playing. Um, I've been involved in the space for a long time. Uh, got to know the guys over at Duro Dogs really well, and happy to support everything that they're doing, and look forward to integrations that we can, uh, you know, do together in the future. In integrations are are coming your way quickly here. Um, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but got some fun mockups to show you, Dan. That sounds great. So let's start at the beginning. How did all of this come uh, together? Where did this begin? What was the kernel of the idea for creating Duro Dogs? Uh, so I actually have a fairly specific memory of that. So we we launched as Nifty Jigs with a slightly more open-ended focus in terms of you know what games we can going to develop. Uh, uh, we knew that we needed better infrastructure to support our broader goals in terms of 
um, having really easily accessible NFTs in BSV and really, you know, kind of our umbrella goal as an organization is driving BSV adoption, getting more users using BSV. And so we thought Handcash was kind of the right partner just because we felt like they were the most aligned in terms of really prioritizing applications and their ability to drive adoption and providing the tools to create a really, really friendly onboarding experience, just a great experience in general. Um, and so we had been speaking with Handcash about, okay, can we, can we do this thing? Is this possible? Are our goals aligning? And we, we eventually said, yeah, this is a great fit. And we were just kind of thinking about, um, at least on the industry side of things, we were putting together just kind of a proposal for what's an MVP we can do to kind of show how this integration works. And Handcash is, you know, famous for their experiment of the Duro as sort of a alternate, um, alternate denomination of BSV that's supposed to be more app friendly. And so we just kind of spontaneously arrived at the alliterative idea for project DuroDoc. And we didn't really think, we didn't have very many ideas beyond it, but it just kind of felt right. Um, and we've just been running with it since. And it's really kind of expanded from what initially was like a proof of concept project for our integration with Handcash. And we, we ultimately just began to see the potential um, in a way that exceeded our initial expectations. And it just kind of made sense to, in a way, go all in on the DuraDocs concept because we just think it has really enormous potential not only to drive adoption of BSV, but also to really help us kind of create this creator economy that we think that these tools that BSV is possible, like payments and highly scalable NFTs, we think those are building blocks for creators that are going to really reshape how not only games, but applications across the internet are created and consumed. And DuraDogs is just such an open-ended and kind of fun palette for exploring those options and also building the tools to help us and others explore those more quickly, that it's just become like a, a really huge focus for Nifty Jigs as a platform. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what has worked so far? This game has been out for, would you say, uh, three and a half months, maybe? Three months? Yeah, December 6th is when we launched. All right, so three months safely. Uh, what's working so far? What isn't working so far? One thing that's clearly working is... So the initial game is this trainer where you start with a dog with no XP. You can do play actions with the dog. You can pet, have the dog lay, these different play actions with animations. And the play actions will cost you energy, which recharges over time, and earn you XP, which helps you level up. And it also earns you treats, which are kind of an in-game currency that you can use to buy different NFTs. Um, I think by far the most popular aspect of the trainer is the ability to dig, which is a way to spend treats and spend energy to uh, have a chance at winning NFTs of different degrees of rarity. 
um, people are digging like crazy. So people love earning NFTs, which isn't so surprising, I think, based on like the broader NFT space uh, and the ability to make that economical because of the efficiency of Bitcoin SV uh, makes it easy to do and you can do it in really high volume and people are doing that. So I think people have loved that so far as kind of like the killer app of the trainer is, is digging for sure. And then recently we launched the first expansion game or actually it's not launched yet. It's being tested by a group of like 200 testers, uh, but we'll launch soon. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun because now there's a more competitive element. Uh, there is a competitive element in trainer as far as people trying to level up most quickly since there's NFTs you can get if you get to level 10 first. Um, or any, whatever time it takes to get to level 10, you get an NFT. But uh, like the gold graduation cap was only available for the first 100. So that was popular. But now that there's more of a, like a directly competitive element with Rough Runner and more of the expansion games that are launched by us and by third parties, I think those will become more and more popular relative to Trainer. But we'll have to kind of wait and see. Are there third parties building games right now? I see the the chess game kind of hinted at in the park. Yeah, there's there's a handful of third party games. Um, some of those are things that we had a larger role in initiating. Um, the game that's currently listed in the store, uh, I think it's called Bark Battle, is actually being created by one of our employees who's just really kind of you know obviously he sees the the potential behind what we're doing and kind of see has like a inside lane i guess into where we're headed and just wanted to spend his free time kind of taking the opportunity to create a game. and I, I think these games have the potential to make some serious and then there's there's some folks just from kind of our community who've also um, come to us proposing projects or just started building or designing things assuming the tools are going to come and it's really exciting for us because we we haven't even released anything really in terms of actually helping people contribute to the space um, or well, to... is it specifically Duro Dogs that you're wanting to kind of open up an ecosystem of or could you say that Nifty Jigs as a an ecosystem is the real goal here where i mean is it safe to say if if someone is developing games you want them to do it on bsv you want them to do it on nifty jigs like is there any is there any people that you would say you know we don't want you to build in this ecosystem um let me put it like this um certainly i I would encourage anyone to build a game on BSV, and I think Nifty Jigs a fantastic best tool to do it. But I do think that there's something to be said also for, you know, we have to recognize that we're a small community. We don't have a lot of big teams. It's a lot of individual folks or small teams trying to make a difference. Uh, and I think that the the folks on this call have been collaborating such that we've managed to create some things that I think have real potential um, to drive adoption. And I think that continuing to 
add to that and add to these things is going to help get us there more quickly than just having lots of diverse projects or projects collaborative. So I would definitely say, you know, Nifty is a fantastic platform for entities. But if you're on the fence about what to do, I would definitely say build something like build a game that uses Duradogs and has an ILP in it. Because um, I think that's the best way to drive kind of synergy between this sort of, I don't want to say mono or uni app, but I, I think that by layering our efforts into kind of more cohesive types of user experiences, we're a lot more likely to have something that really stands out quickly in terms of bringing a really unique experience value prop to a user such that we can start generating these sorts of viral effects and bring many, many more users to the BSV space. Um, and, and I think that by doing that through this type of collaboration, then we'll be in a position where, yeah, no matter what you're building, no matter who you are, if you're a solo like a huge sort of... Uh, I think the reason I, I bring that up is because I'll talk to people and, and they have it in their mind that Nifty Jigs is Duro Dogs. Uh, and if they want to, I, I mean, Duro Dogs is sitting over here and it's doing its thing and it's this game that's being built. So um, if I want to build something, it's like uh, I could build something in the Duro Dogs ecosystem or I can go somewhere else. And I just don't want people to lose sight of. Dogs is really just the first implementation of a Nifty Jigs game. But Nifty Jigs, the platform, the scope of that is, I mean, anything that uses digital goods is going to want to yeah. use Nifty Jigs. You know, and by extension, yeah, you, can... uh, you know, Brenton might have something to say about that as, as the run protocol developer as well, because like, uh, these are kind of things that are shelved into each other. Say maybe at the base layer you have BSV and then you have the run protocol. You have the specific flavor of that known as Nifty Jigs and then you have the actual game ecosystem which is Duro Dogs, right? So it's kind of um, you know, a forking path in that sense. But it doesn't necessarily well, let, mean that these things can't exist. And let me frame a discussion I had recently with a group of people around that Uh so everyone is saying, okay, you have several different platforms that use their own protocol. Are they all able to integrate with Nifty Jigs? Because Nifty Jigs is on run. So we might want to touch on that. But then at the same time, uh, if, uh, if it's on run, there's a lot of people that will say, why are other platforms building on other protocols that are not run? some of the critiques of run is that there's scaling issues and I know nifty jigs will refute that but that that's kind of the things I hear out in the community is 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 run inherently scalable and then if the, if there's different platforms like relay X using run uh, take it nft uses run um, you've got these different platforms using run why won't they just integrate with nifty jigs right off the bat is another thing I hear so just throwing that into that uh, that framing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think the layer, you know, I'll answer both questions. So I think, I think the layered approach where you have BSV and then you have, you know, your token smart contract protocol on top, which is run in this case, and then you have um, uh, Nifty Jigs, which is 
you know, a specialization of run, and then you, of course, have your application layer on top of that. That's totally normal. Um, and you actually see that in the Ethereum ecosystems, too, where they have um, – oh, the name's, name's escaping me. I want to say uh, it's either Wax or it's, – it's another platform. But basically, they serve as the same role as what um, Durodogs is doing because there is a need for that. There's you – know, Run doesn't um, entirely uh, meet the needs of um, – end application uh, developers that um, just want to get stuff done. So I think that as for um, uh, like different protocols and why different apps and integration, um, well, I think people will choose different protocols depending on um, kind of what they see as maybe their strengths. And I don't know if that's always true because I think, for example, take the scaling issues. I, I think that, you know, the quote unquote scaling issues that, that plague um, all the token protocols really have various solutions out there and it, they're the same for all of them. So, um, I, but I think there's been a lot of like confusion about like what that actually means in practice. So um, people have gone different, different protocols from that reason, but also because, you know, some people don't want to build their infrastructure on JavaScript run as a JavaScript based platform. Uh, you know, maybe you want to write your app in a different language and that's okay. And you, you know, in the future, it should be possible to take JavaScript and even abstract that away within run to where we can have other languages and, and other SDK languages for integrations. But um, right now it's JavaScript based. So that, you know, for certain people that might be a con or it might be a pro, it depends on what you're doing. You know, we think it's a pro because JavaScript is, you know, everywhere and it's easy to use, but I, I get it. I, I get why people might, you know, want to experiment. And, and that's the other part is that we're in this wave right now where we're probably the only scalable, like massively scalable UTXO-based blockchain. And figuring out tokens and smart contracts on this is new. And so there's a lot of people that are just experimenting and trying to come up with new protocols and new ideas on this. And that should happen. This is the natural path. So um, I think in time we'll see closer integration, I, you know, in my head, I've got kind of a way that we could integrate, you know, allow run to interoperate with say sensible or, you know, whatever else is out there. I think this is definitely possible in the future, but there's, you got to keep in mind that we're building up from a, a very primitive system uh, or sorry, maybe simple system, which is Bitcoin. That's a, that's a compliment to Bitcoin BSV. Um, and we're trying to add this functionality for tokens and smart contracts on top of it. And um, that's just going to take some effort. It's going to take, you know, a lot of work to make happen. So I, I wouldn't expect interoperability in, overnight. The shortest ways to do that are probably to have bridges, um, companies and individuals who connect the different protocols together. Um, but I'm pretty sure it will happen in time. Ultimately, the, the answer out there is if you want your uh, digital goods to be interoperable, across let's just call it some gardens if they're all on nifty jigs then that's inherently going to be much easier i think that this term interoperability is i i on the one hand i think it's sort of the goal and on the other hand i think it's a massive distraction um what i mean by that is so i used to I still play the piano, but my sort of primary professional endeavor at one point was being a jazz pianist. And there's this kind of 
strange but 100% true thing about playing the piano, especially in a, in a format that's sort of oriented around improvisation, that imposing rules onto a situation brings out more creativity. So if you just sit down at the piano and you say, I'm just going to, no, there's no format, there's no restrictions, there's nothing, I'm just going to play for my heart, and whatever happens, happens. That can be fantastic, but it's really challenging. Um, and a lot of times it comes out sort of as just kind of amorphous nothing, to be honest. Whereas when you're playing music that's more kind of, let's say, rooted in a specific tradition, or even if it's just something even more synthetic, but you're imposing specific types of rules and restrictions upon what you're doing, typically it's much, much easier to be creative and to create something that's beautiful and meaningful. And I, I see the I see a parallel to this sort of interoperability question and challenge where there's there's this kind of demand upon companies building in BSV and on blockchain in general, like you should just be interoperable with everyone always. And if you're not, you're doing something wrong. And I, I think that that's, that's just not true in that there's really not that much point for most people to interoperate with others at any given point in time. Certainly, if you can get to a point where interoperability is much, much simpler, that's great. That has its benefits, of course. I'm not saying it doesn't. But our our approach at Nifty Jigs and with ThoroughDogs has, has not necessarily been let's interoperate everywhere all at once. It's been let's create a really simple way of interoperating in some very like much more specific type of way that's much more sort of innately powerful. And, and when looking through the context of Durodogs and what we did with this game that we released called Rough Runner, that's kind of our our mindset is, hey, we can provide you tools where you can integrate this specific dog with its animations into a 2D game. You can issue NFTs that that dog can wear inside of our trainer environment. Try and do something that's fun and meaningful with those basic tools. And we have an audience that's kind of ready for you and ready to enjoy that. And that's not as creative as saying like, hey, go out anywhere and do whatever you want. Use whatever wallet you want use whatever token protocol you want, and we're just always going to be interoperable with you no matter what. Um, it's much more restrictive than that, but I think that we're actually a lot more likely to create something of value this way versus focusing on interoperating with everybody. Yeah, you don't there's want... A, oh, go ahead, Brandon. Uh, there's a, a great programmer called Uncle Bob, and he has a book where he kind of breaks down the, the three different paradigms of programming, and each time, like, computer science has taken a huge step forward, it's by limiting certain things you can do with the programming aspect. And I kind of see the same thing here. Um, the way I see Duro Dogs, and if I was developing a game, I'd, I'd want the, to be Duro Dogs to be the platform where uh, my NFTs are distributed. Like, if I have this one obscure game and if somehow i can inject my item as a dig item that that's just a, a way to piggyback off of duradog success and get people to try out my game yeah and this goes back to 
an earlier question about like can you use nifty jigs for all sorts of games or just throw dogs so i think like one game that we have in on our roadmap that i think some people are excited about is hash war um uh, a card game that we were talking about kind of before throw dogs it was our first idea um and that's still on the roadmap and we want all sorts of games that are totally unrelated to throw dogs to become part of the ecosystem ultimately but I think, yeah, like like Brandon said, it makes sense just because, you know, there's about like 10,000 throw dogs out there now. So if you create an item for a dog or create some functionality for these users that have these NFTs, you kind of have this kind of baked in customer base. So I think for a lot of people, it's more fun just to like start from scratch and create something new. And we want to support that. But just expanding the ecosystem and having a customer base on day one um, that's really excited to play, which I think we've seen so far with Rough Runner, is a huge opportunity where you don't have to build a world from scratch. You can just build off of something that already exists. I had a question for Brenton. Um, I know you guys a while back were working on um, some type of peer-to-peer way of sending a jig. Um, is that still on the roadmap? Yeah, it's, it's definitely still on the roadmap. So the, basically the way you do this is you would have both sides of, um, so there's multiple ways to do this, but uh, let's say I think what is probably going to be the best way to do this. You have both sides of the peer-to-peer send, let's say, you know, two wallets or a game and an exchange or you know, something like that. They're both, they're both running instances of what we call RunDB. This is our indexer. It basically keeps track of, um, you know, all, all the jigs, all the tokens that you know about. And when you go to send something peer to peer, you would the party that's sending would would give a transaction to the party that's receiving that just has um, the send operation in it. And if the receiver is um, already up to date with run tokens that they might be receiving, uh, that's it. You're, you're good. But if there's um, you know some history that's been lost, maybe they weren't watching the full blockchain or. Um, uh, yeah, it's probably the main reason. Maybe they weren't indexing it for some reason. Uh, then there can be a communication protocol between both sides where they exchange um, the transactions for that token um, that the other side doesn't have. And this looks like it can be done pretty optimized. Um, but, of course, if you're sending you know, a token with uh, literally transactions, it could take a while. So you want to try to, if you're running a service that's going to be receiving tokens, you want to do some work yourself. And this is sort of like a principle kind of on run is that um to get better service you have to do work <laughs> um and so if you're expecting to receive uh you know dogs in your exchange um you should be trying to pre-index those dogs um before they hit them just like you know uh coinbase runs a, a bitcoin node same thing um this is just on the token level um there is one further step we can take this which is um if these two uh, companies or parties do trust each other, then the full exchange of these transactions doesn't need to happen. And they don't have to trust necessarily each other. They can also trust a third party that they both mutually trust. Um, but I think there's, there's a path down that too. But I think step one is first to make it so that if you receive a transaction, to have a simple protocol where if you receive a transaction, you need to exchange some other transactions with it. There's a, a way to do that. That's, 
to be honest, we're working on RunDB2. This is more of a scalability upgrade to run. Um, RunDB, sorry. And then that's on the roadmap next. So, you know, I'd expect this sometime this year for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I guess Handcash could could whitelist crypto fights. And we, we trust the company CryptoVites if they're sending us um, a jig and we we know that it's authentic. Yeah, and um, I'll say one more thing, going back to a, another comment that somebody made. Um, <laughs> Jack, you made this. You, you said that when you're playing piano, um, you know, limits inspire creativity. And when you said that, I, I kind of got chills for a second because that was a another like fundamental truth that kind of came out in the development of run was that if you had a protocol that just, it's hard to really describe this on a call, but if you had a protocol that a token protocol or smart contract protocol that could literally do anything without any limits on how ownership might be transferred between items or how updates might be sequenced. Um, and it, it's possible like to build run in a way where it's more, let's say um, less constrained than it is. It's not a constrained protocol, but um, just trying to give an example. The point was in order to enable a certain amount of, programmability, you almost had to put some limits on it. We found that some things weren't possible without that. And so that, that was just kind of funny to hear that you also experienced this on the application level and in your personal um, personal life too. I think I think it's just a general truth. There's that classic, uh, a kite can't fly without a string pulling it. Constraints. Um, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, let me ask a quick question, a little off topic, but to the Darodogs team, um, when we were talking about kind of games additional games are there going to be i mean would you foresee or want there to be a future where there could be games related to certain themes of dig items like a pirate game that the pirate set relates to do something like that like is that part of the roadmap or is it how do you guys pick the themes of dig items and the different sets yeah i think there's a lot of really interesting stuff that's stemming from that. So I think a lot of this will be up to third-party creators. But the market dynamics, you can play with the market dynamics in a way that's really advantageous for you as a developer. So, for example, a pirate game. So there's, like, all of these items being sold uh, in the alpha marketplace, which is just a Discord group. You can also just do trades peer-to-peer. Um, but there's all these, like, low-value items. Um, someone just did a trade over the weekend for like 1,100 different items. Um, I don't know what the price was, but you know this isn't like tens of thousands of dollars. This is probably like 100 bucks or something. So there's all these low value items. Uh, and what's fun is you could build a game that uses these things and kind of scoop up a bunch of low value items first. And then in your game, so you're making some pirate game and you have all these like eye patches. Uh, in your game, that item is super valuable. So you can you could <clears throat> make a game uh, that makes an item that you have a large supply of more valuable. Are you about to and tell obviously people to corner the market? Don't don't tell people. I want to do that before they think about it. People maybe didn't currently. You never know. Um, so wait, let me. But, that that brings up a good point of like rarity and mm-hmm. stuff. Like when you when you guys launch your marketplace, I mean you might you might uh, do some kind of rarity chart, but that's actually uh, only relevant to like the supply. What you're describing actually kind of turns on the head. Like the concept of rarity is pretty subjective, depending depending on the context. Like some games 
some things might be more valuable. Right. It's also Anyways. relative to the user base. So like things that aren't rare currently are like if there's a thousand of an item, that's like not rare. But we only have, you know, pretty small base of users currently. So uh, when we retire items, this isn't like a, a guarantee, but like we don't really plan on bringing items back once they're retired from Dig. Um, so if we have 100 million users playing all sorts of different games, then uh, a one of 3,000 item is pretty rare at that point. Um, what do you yeah, guys... Go ahead. Oh, what do you guys make of like the rare candy market where they just... I guess the key difference between Dogs and rare candy is... I mean, there's a lot, but Dogs is kind of an infinite mint. Like, you can... You can mint a dog no matter what, versus the rare candy approach where there's a limited supply, there's clear rarity, um, and then there's just huge speculation afterwards. Like, what do you guys make of that? And, like, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I think that they're just really different games. And I use the term game intentionally here. Because I think that the Rare Candy game is sort of like, it's important, it's really important for the game to understand, like, what's rare, not rare. Because I'm pretty sure that the same with Dogs and these collections on Rare Candy, every NFT is unique. That's is that, that's true, I assume, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, and, and the serial number, even for Dogs, like, that that yeah, is shown some relevance. Right. Your dog is your dog. Yeah. So for us, it was more about kind of like we wanted every dog to be one of a kind. We wanted to be able to generate millions or billions of one of a kind dogs. But Jackson, you also want some dogs to be more equal than others. Yeah, I mean that's it's fun to have some things be more rare than others. But I guess what I'm saying is that oh, I was making a rare about animal farm. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry for not picking up uh, or acknowledging your reference. Uh, Orwell would be proud. So, yeah, I guess I, I just think the point of our game is less about your dog is rare, your dog is not rare. And it's just more about kind of using your dog and having fun with your dog. People are, of course, like speculating within the game, making money from things related to the game. But I don't think that it's as important to us to sort of make it clear from the outset what is the most valuable thing? What is the least valuable thing? Uh, it's, you know, it's just not a game that's oriented around kind of like trading and valuing. Did you guys foresee the kind of play to earn model emerging? I've seen that in the marketplace where there's, you know, there's some people that, uh, will dig up items and spend a lot of time digging, you know, for purposes of being able to sell them. I know that's something that you obviously could have forecasted happening, but is that part of the kind of the adoption model? Yeah, I think play to earn's fun. I think, especially, a lot of people are doing play to earn gaming. Like the Philippines are a big area for that. Um, you don't want high fees, right? So. Plitterun works a lot better on an efficient blockchain. Um, I'm not surprised that people are are doing a lot of that. And 
I think it's fun. I mean, these dig items, people are going crazy on dig. Uh, I don't want to be digging, you know, as long as some people are. So I'm hopping in the marketplace and buying things from people. Um, and that, that's a win-win for both of us. So I'm not surprised at all. I think there's going to be more of that. And I think since that model's been kind of proven with games like Axie Infinity, um, I think other people will develop games with Nifty Jigs that have a big play-to-earn emphasis. And it's a great it's a great tool to build a game like that since you're not going to lose a bunch of your a bunch of your profit and transaction fees and also just the startup cost to get started with Duro Dogs. You can start for free, really. Um, you don't need to buy your first dog unless you want to sell it or, or trade it. And you can dig with that first dog. So without spending any money, and people have done this, you can make BSV in Duro Dogs. And that's just not the case for a game like, like Axie, where the inefficiency and the transaction fees that stem from that, and also kind of the speculative nature. So to start playing, you're looking at hundreds or a thousand plus dollars. Um, it's just kind of a different target audience, which is much more speculator focused. Whereas I think with Dirt Dogs, you can play to have fun, or you can, if you want to do play to earn, you can start with just much less uh, startup cost. Yeah, but you know what? There's so, the opportunity to also like buy some of the very rare items too. So if you wanted to uh, operate as a whale in that sense, you know that uh, is available to you. There were a couple of very limited items in the first set, and then generally when you guys list some of the new sets or new collections into the shop, those are purchasable. So if you have a lot of treats or you don't. Uh, but you want those items, you could uh, get it via uh, doing all of the tricks and stuff and get your treats from that and then buy the items. Or you could just buy your treats to trade for the rare items too. So it, it kind of it kind of has um, a, a couple different approaches, I think, within within the game. So if, if uh, Niv, go ahead. No, you can go ahead. I'll jump in after you. I, I was going to tangent conversation, so if you had something relevant to that, do it. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think that's one of the really cool things about Duro Dogs is, um, to me, it, it feels like a, a game you can find in the Apple App Store. Like, BSV is pretty much invisible to the user until until they go to get involved in buying and selling stuff. And, I, you know, you compare that to a game um, built on Ethereum where, where you're going to be paying transaction fees for everything you do. Uh, that's not going to be possible to subsidize, but on BSV you can. And so I, I just think that that model is is really powerful. It's like very welcoming to to new people who um, you, know, you just you can go out you can go tell a friend about this game and they can just give it a try. They don't you don't have to get them up on Coinbase or something. I mean now on Handcash, which is a really cool that you can buy it in the app. But um, even still, typing in that credit card and all that is it's it'd be nice if we didn't have to do that. And and this is a good you know, demonstration that we don't. Yeah. You know what? That's a good point you make, Renton. So like, is there an intention to kind of, um, move away from wallets with this game or to onboard folks straight into Duro dogs without them needing a wallet and then really to participate in the economics? Um, maybe you, you then you're creating a wallet for them that they have no idea about. Right. And then you're basically giving them access to that wallet um, 
you know, should they choose to join in the the economic components? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're working on something like that. Um, there's a lot of browser-based games where you kind of just go to a domain and you're in the game. Obviously, they try to convert you later to generate some revenue off of you. And the other negative is there's usually ads, ads everywhere on the screen, so they can make money that way. But we're working on a new flow so that we could mimic that um, to reduce the friction, which is really low compared to other blockchain play-to-earn games. Sure. But higher than you know a game where you just land and start playing. Um, like Wordle being kind of a different type of game, but a good example where there's no account. You just hop on and you're playing uh, and you come back the next day and it remembers your your history plays. Uh, you could, so you yeah, could say, right, that like this game is really, uh, you know, a, 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 a hand cash onboarding platform. Currently, yeah, for sure. Right now. Yeah. Can I ask you guys about um, what is the current play to earn? kind of ecosystem look like i don't think i can sign on to twitter without seeing so-and-so company is investing 70 million 50 million in into the metaverse and like what is what does it look like on other chains and like uh, do they have functional games there's definitely functional games but there's also a lot of hype where there's nothing currently behind it i also you know there's a lot of money being poured into this space but a lot of it is sort of into these kind of last year high profile teams where there's some kind of like a blockchain foundation type money and yeah i don't think that there's like a huge i mean there's I guess I would say that it's just maybe a little bit deceptive, I think, how much money is going into this space and that it does it's not quite as much as you might think based on the sort of flashy larger decks that are getting written. Um and I think that's in part just because there's really still not that many people in the NFT space. It seems like there's a lot because you're sort of inundated with it on a day to day basis. Or I'm my guess is you are. But I, I spoke with a company past Friday, and um, the person I was speaking with said that by their research, there's about 250,000 people who've bought an NFT. And I don't know where that number came from or if it's real or not, but it's not that many people. And let's say it's 10 times as many um, than that actually, 2.5 million. It's still relatively small compared to the amount of money pouring into the space. And, and I, but I think that the challenge for everybody is still onboarding and creating games that are fun and actually, and I, I think that even if we look to be at like a disadvantage based on the size of BSV community today, which is very small, um, don't get it twisted. It's super small. Um, but, but I do think that everyone is still dealing with the same battles and, it, whoever cracks it first, and I think that we've got a good shot at it, uh, I think th things can change really quickly. So would you say the, the secret ingredient is just a fun game? Or is there more to it? 
I do think that fun is the number one thing. And the second most important thing is having the ability to actually get people to play it. Well, um, let's point out that gambling is fun. Speculation is fun. Leveling up is fun. Yeah, but I I think that there's actually a lot of people who don't love gambling for real money. Uh, and would, yeah, would I don't necessarily mean, I just mean speculation in general, like um, risking time or energy to try and get something rare or something better or to get a higher score or to put in the time to be able to level up. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways for the, for a game to be fun. It doesn't have to be like, you know, Counter Strike thing. Um, that's there's there's plenty of other great games that are utilizing all kinds of different mechanics. We have some pretty interesting ones in the VSV space that we can access that others really can't. Um, but yeah, I think it's just you have to build something that's fun, that people want to engage with, and. It has to be discoverable, which means you have to have great onboarding, which means you have to have virality. Um, and, I, and I think if you have those three things, great onboarding, fun game, and virality, then sky's the So can I use that as kind of a, a segue to point Wait, out? Wait, I, I had yeah. one question. Uh, how does that square with uh, you, Brenton, and your experience with Snapchat? Like, Weren't you like really involved with Bitmoji and how that eventually got integrated like how did they make those decisions well i this is definitely related uh, so i think um you know it, i'll answer this question i'm just going to swing around to it but i think the idea that there are like different kinds of fun that people can have is like absolutely true and right now i think a lot of crypto is capitalizing on you know people's desire to speculate and to uh to gamble basically um in, in all different forms um but I don't know if we've peaked at how many people might be interested in that, but it's not everybody on this planet is going to be interested. There's a, a whole lot of people that um, maybe for financial reasons or maybe just interest reasons, that's not their thing. And so I think what Dogs is doing is really good because it's bringing another angle to, um, you know, what blockchains can be used for. Um, and it, it's based, and actually I think it's, it's a really good angle because idle style games, which you know, I, I would put Duro Dogs in that category where you can make a certain amount of moves over time. Uh, those are just incredible. I think they might be the most popular games on the App Store. I'm pretty sure if you go in there, you'll find, I don't know, you'd have to go look, but um, I'm pretty sure those are the most popular. And, um, that, and, and that's been hard to do up until now because of the, the transaction fee costs um, across blockchains. But, you know, we have that capability on BSV. Um, but to answer your question about like Snapchat, I think one of the things I remember most is, is we would say build something that teenagers would want to use. And when you come at it from that angle, you just think differently. Maybe they don't have a lot of money, for example, but they have more time. And I think, you know, DuroDogs feeds into that. And then integrating social elements into it is also very important. And, um, and, and I, I actually think that this is, you know, I, I agree that, that the BSV ecosystem is small and the crypto ecosystem is also small compared to what it could be. But I think we're this is like a very good shot at, at that direction, of getting out of that direction, basically, into something bigger. 
So I'll yeah, use also, that also. Okay, go ahead. I, yeah, just to make one point, I think the speculation focus in the broader crypto space is kind of for two reasons. One, that's what crypto has like proven itself good at to date. Um, but two, I think is kind of like more of a philosophical reason that's not articulated. But speculation is fundamentally about the future. So you don't actually have to do so much right now um, in terms of transaction throughput or things that might not work because of scalability issues today. But if it's a speculative thing and it's about the future, then you kind of like shift the focus towards the future when obviously, you know, we're going to have ETH2 and it's going to work amazing. So we don't really need to worry about it today. We can just speculate. And when we get there, then we'll have, we'll be able to do all this fun metaverse stuff. Um, so I think that is actually kind of part of the reason. And people really haven't explored, like, hey, what could we do uh, with just a game that has Candy Crush type volume, uh, but using these crypto blockchain tools, just because it, it hasn't been available. So why worry about it? Let's do something speculative and just shift everyone towards thinking about the future. So it's fun to explore some of that stuff now since we don't have that crutch. We don't need to. I think speculation still is fun, and it can be a fun aspect of the game. But it's we don't need to live there. We can do stuff in the present since these tools are ready right now. Dan, were you about to say something? I was basically just going to ask, you know, like, what do we what do we think the actual market penetration for, like, play-to-earn type games that are using cryptocurrency uh, just is in general, like across the entire space, Ethereum, Solana, BSV, like the whole nine. What in, in terms of if we look at the, if we just look at the gamer, basically the target market, what sort of penetration do we think that these types of of things have? Like, what, what is it at this point? Is it a percent? Is it four percent? I mean, what do we have any baseline for for knowing that? I'm just curious if 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 anyone knows those numbers. My, my assumption is that it's very small. Yeah, play to earn where, you know, whether it's NFTs or some sort of other, you know, fungible token. Define those as games that people play specifically because they're trying to earn, or is it just any game that allows you to um, collect items and kind of harvest that you may or may not sell? Um, I would say anything that just allows you to play and you have the potential to walk away with something you didn't have. Because... Isn't that most of the mobile casual games, like Clash of Clans, for example, would that fall into that bucket? Um, that's a good question. I, like the, the grandma the question, probably Crush, is that in that bucket? Yeah, probably probably not. I would say I let's think... from a just from like a you know a blockchain. Let's say yeah, utilizing the blockchain for payment or some sort of asset. Yeah, I think the reason Clash of Clans like wouldn't necessarily apply. I don't play the game, so maybe this is not totally correct. But what's the definition of have? Right, if you can only use this thing in this one experience, do you really like have that thing? If you can't give it to somebody else, if you can't sell it, to what extent do you have it? So I think that might be part of the reason why a Clash of Clans wouldn't feel like a play to earn because it just kind of exists in this one experience so i i think dan i don't know necessarily what you're getting at but for me that question the the relevance or the way that i make it relevant is if you take all of the population and put them into buckets 
based on what their motivation is to play, then you could ask, okay, um, where does play to earn fit into that? What does it align with? What's its potential market? What is it? Because the question maybe you're asking is, you know, how big of a deal is this? How big of a market is it potentially? So I would, I kind of group all gamers into just buckets of like why they play. Sure. And I think, I think the motive for a lot of people in play to earn is, is going to be the earn aspect. And I think what we've, what we've been missing, I I don't know the numbers. I know that they, that they've, they've done a ton of revenue. I don't, uh, uh, Axie infinity. Um, but I don't know, like as a gamer, as a person playing the game, is that just me burning a bunch of money or, or were there a lot of people making a lot of money? Because I think, I think the turning point for this whole play to earn thing is when people actually start earning because now all of a sudden you're going to have these markets like, you know, before Uber and things like this existed, this sort of gig market where I can just be sitting at the house, have a couple applications on my phone and go start earning as soon as I enable one of these, these apps. I I don't Um, want to be too controversial, but I, I think you always have to control for how much of the current market stats are skewed by manipulated like economies. Oh, 100%. Like, yeah. you know, a uh, play to earn might be a complete money laundering scheme that is going to skew. Sure. I guess, I guess the point that I'm making is when the, when the everyday average person, assuming, you know, wash trading and, and money laundering aside, I'm talking about real users playing and actually earning. Like to me, that's the, that's the tipping point. That's the chasm that we're trying to cross with this, with these onboarding things. And I think that, you know, the thing that I love about building on BSV is it actually is, it's enabling us to actually tackle that problem. Like, right, if I'm building on Ethereum right now, um, that's just a, that's just a, an onboarding problem that is actually, in my opinion, unsolvable for the, the mainstream user. Because as soon as you, as soon as you say $20, $40, $80 fee to even interact, you, you've lost people. You know, so well, I, except I just, for the people who are there to make huge bags off of, you know, the speculation game. Yeah, it's not gamers; it's speculators. Exactly, exactly, so, and that's my point. And what I'm saying is, I think that is really a rhetorical question. It's it's the market. The market penetration is so small, and I don't yeah. think that we've truly seen sort of that tipping point where a casual gamer that may have nothing to do or have ne- has never even held a cryptocurrency. Come, come experience one of these games and immediately start getting, you know, like earning from it. Like that's, that's such a powerful thing because now all of a sudden this thing that has had this stigma of like, I, you know, I just think about the classic example of the girlfriend or the wife getting upset with, you know, their boyfriend because all they do is game. Well, it's like, is that conversation, um, is it the same conversation between those two people when said gamer is, you know, bringing in an extra thousand dollars a month or whatever, like I, I go this this conversation took me back. Regardless of the money, though, Dan, that's actually a genius marketing move. Like, hey, dudes, play these games because now you have like this you have excuse, excuse to throw back. Like, dude, this is work. I'm working. Right, exact, exactly. But I mean, like, at at what point is it? Is it? You know, it's it's not like, you know, excuse the pun, but like fun and games when it actually is real money. You know, an extra thousand dollars for a lot of people is a is a huge difference. And I yeah, go but, back to I mean, you'd have to be the elite elite to 
achieve that. So most people, it's going to be the pursuit not, of that, not necessarily the achievement of it, right? Not at scale. I mean, yeah, not at scale. Yeah, I think you could be early to a game. So like a game like Jump on Haste. Ultimately, you're going to have to be really good and to be yeah, just saying, top on the leaderboard. The distribution, if the if the revenue into the system is entry fees, to make that much, I mean, a definition, you're going to have to be at the right end of the, you know, the tail. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I, so I'm just saying, like, you can't make, you know, this at BBG, this is like one of the main things is like, you can't treat the gaming market as the pros. Like, there's, there's a small population of the potential market, like... So you can't, it's going to be the pursuit of that thousand that's the lure, not necessarily everyone achieving it. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, and I, and I, can I throw out the framing that I wanted to uh, throw out a second ago, which is, and we can keep talking about this, but I just want to frame it of like, you know, for anyone who's listening, like, why are we, why are we all friends and why, why are we all working together? Like, what, what's this world we're trying to achieve together? Like what's, what is our association with each other? Because you know, you've got the Nifty Jigs team here building their dogs. Haste, you've got what s- seems like it would be a completely competing platform. Brandon here from Handcash, like and Run, like what? I just want to frame like what what is our association? Because I think that's an interesting thing to point out that we all take for granted. I won't speak for everyone else. I mean, I can, I can tell you flat out for, for us, you know, Joe's obviously not on the call and like Eric and Keith, they, they sort of came later, but this, this is for us, what we are building, uh, was, a, was about demonstrating a micropayment period. Like it wasn't necessarily like, Oh, we want to go build a gaming platform. It just kind of evolved into that. Our desire was sort of built out of this frustration of seeing, seeing a beautiful like such a beautifully designed thing that we had in in sort of bitcoin in its original design and to see that sort of morph into this speculative sort of circus that it's become like that it, it was the frustration that ultimately led us to that so like to your point about you know some people could look and be like oh a game in the haste arcade is a direct competitor of like duro dogs or you know any other game that's out in the ecosystem I don't really see it that way, and I, I never really have because I think that it's such an interesting dynamic to be building on a network where I should, we should, as a company, be pulling for the success of any of our competitors because that that's just strengthening the network, right? Like you don't you don't necessarily have that dynamic in a world where they freely print money, right? Like it just it just doesn't work. But now all of a sudden. It's like, yeah, you want to be the best that you can be. You want to be competitive, but it's just, it's, it's different. There's a nuance to it. And, um, you know, is it, is it fair to say all of us here have this, um, like this, uh, aligned, um, like mission of, uh, uh, promoting BSV's adoption and growing the network. And we all, um, are aligned on, we believe that gaming is one of the avenues that uh, we can make that happen and that gamification of things and just tapping into that energy is what, I mean, that's what brought us all together is how do we bring the future of American gaming 
um, through our kind of uh, joint association and, you know, working together. I would say that's a fair assumption for me. Yeah. And I, I, I guess the not American future of like global gaming, future of blockchain gaming. Sorry to be so American centric. Well, let me add to what Dan said. I, I think I agree with what Dan said. I think that is a mission that I care deeply about too, is this world of micropayments. And, um, you know, I've long been convinced that the Bitcoin, I think this is one unifying factor is that Bitcoin is the best way to do that. But um, that for me, that's not my main motivation. That, that's a big motivation. But I think for me personally, um, you know, uh, when, when I was at, when I was at Snap, um, we all, we often talked about like I, I hate to even mention this phrase, but owning your data, right? Uh, sorry, we wouldn't talk about that. We talk about privacy there. There's this idea that like the apps would would um, have these data silos that um, users get locked into, and then of course the network effects just keep them locked into it. And we've seen this play out lots and lots of times. And it wasn't so much the um, the the data as it was. It just led to a less interesting world because, like, look at look at us right now. We have uh, one, two, three, four, you know, arguably five different companies working together on something here. That doesn't. That's really not as common <laughs> outside of outside of blockchain. And I think having a, a single database layer and then different companies that specialize on it. Um, that that's just a more interesting world to me, and I want to see more apps that. That talk to each other that and 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 integrate with each other and i do see blockchain as the path through that right now we have um a wallet and a game that that interact seamlessly together and i know that's pretty common in crypto but um it really should be a lot more than just that too so i i see bsv as like the best platform for that and whether micro micro payments or um allowing you know apps to work together I, I think for me that's that's kind of my drive i think what what attracted me personally to this group of companies and people you know there's a lot of folks in bsv who i think are really passionate about bsv itself and kind of vision of the world and the ways in which the world could be better via bsv uh and and also it shouldn't be understated the degree to which I think there's just a general desire to be right when a lot of people I think have doubted folks in BSV, whether it's people in their personal network or just kind of encountering a lot of backlash um, from a professional standpoint or just from a social media standpoint. I think there's just a, a strong desire to... Are you trying to say BSV is not popular? Uh, I think we all know it's not popular. I'm guessing everyone who's listening to this stream knows it's not popular. So, but but I think that specifically what I what I really like about working with Run and Handcat, Haste, and Built by Gamers, and a number of other companies is that I think that we're all really oriented around the idea that the way you do this, the way you bring this technology to the world, isn't necessarily by talking about it although we are talking about it right now it's fun but it's by creating a great product serving the mass market and using just delivering these features in 
the most kind of seamless, perfect, um, beautiful way possible. And just making sure that uh, I think that some people have a tendency to put the future over the present. So they want to they want to jump right to the future. They want to build the world they want to see in ten years today. And I I think that's admirable, but I also think that that doesn't always work. And sometimes if you get too far ahead of yourself, you, you end up building for nobody. And I think that these companies were really trying to figure out how can we build for today's consumer, today's gamer. Um, and I think that we, we all understand the technology can do it, but we also see that it's a massive challenge, but a challenge that we're actually willing to embrace and take head on and not just be satisfied with, hey, I'm building something, and yeah, BSP is unpopular, and that's kind of why my thing is not that successful, but hey, someday people are going to realize, and then I'll be here waiting. I think that we're really focused on how we actually go out in the world and get this done now um, versus just survive till the time is right and the adversity is lessened. Because I think that that, that mentality ultimately is not going to work and the, you really have to be focused on the present, focused on creating an amazing product today. And if you don't do that, you're not going to be successful. I think that's a, a change for us, though, because I think as a community, we've been conditioned to be waiting for the soon. So I know I personally need to, to do better at what you're saying and uh, make the most of the hand in front of us. And I'm sure most people would say that we are not guilty of that, but I feel like we are guilty, or at least I am, of um, waiting for the next thing. So, um, yeah, I need to do better at that. Well, I think that you're you're doing a lot, including getting the folks in this room together in a big way or just being a big rallying point. Uh, so we all appreciate you, man. Well, I mean, the question I was about to ask next was like, <laughs> what's the future we're building? But now I feel like, okay, uh, that's me being guilty of, you know, just trying to focus on the futures coming to us rather than like, holy crap, what do we have to do next week? You know, and, and I know each of us are working feverishly on things to release this month. Um, you know, so yeah, but I mean, it's so fun to focus on a year from now. What is it going to look like? I think it's going to be pretty exciting. You know, all the things that we're building as they start to coalesce and start to gain momentum, we start to kind of break, break out of some of the shackles. Um, it's very exciting to be focused on the future. Brandon, I dare you to say something. I'm just happy to see, you know, people like Haste and Nifty Jigs building. Um, I think at least the payment system we have with Pancash, it, I think it's amazing that we can do these tiny payments for such a fraction of a penny and 
How, how do you I handle mean, when people say, hey, Brandon, yeah, you do these tiny payments with a fractional penny, but win NFTs, win Web3 wallet? So I would say that we do have NFTs, and it's through Nitsy Jicks. So explain that. So your Nitsy Jigs NFTs are stored in your hand cash wallet, and every time that your um, Nifty Jigs NFT is used, it's that transaction is being signed by your hand cash wallet with your hand cash keys. So, I mean, the thing that makes hand cash unique is that we have this uh, keyless system where we use threshold signatures. So we don't need this Web three experience with this web with this extension because like we can manage permissions a different way and like a user doesn't need to like sign every transaction manually. And cash is a victim of their own UX being so good. So people don't even know that they have NFTs through Handcash because they're just like sending a gold chain to their buddy in a game. And uh, Handcash is like hiding all of that complexity from them. <laughs> so yeah. when the Nifty Jigs marketplace comes, will that be when it becomes more kind of vi- people yeah. feel like they have a wallet of NFTs? Yeah, my theory of NFTs is it's really all about context, and I think an NFT needs like a marketplace or like a home screen and. To an extent, the Duro Dogs inventory is that, but I think you know if there's a marketplace and you sign in, like these are my items, and I think it'll just the whole picture will be more clear. And I think maybe it is a little abstracted right now. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's true. Uh, one thing I would quickly say about the web wallet is that, or, or the sort of browser extension style wallet. I think that there's this idea that if we only had something that looked exactly like what Ethereum has, then all the Ethereum people would come to PSV because they've realized how much better it is. And that's just like so wrong that it's laughable. Yeah. I I would just add, there is a great um, BSV extension wallet, like the Senselet wallet, and do all those things. So I, I don't think that's the problem. They just, like you said, they want, if you have MetaMask, then you'll have all of the success that 3M's had. I don't know if that's true, but I have a couple questions coming in uh, from, from, from the broadcast people watching right now. So first one, this will be relatively quick, I think. Do you guys spend money making the small transfers, the transactions, while... Uh, while people are playing, I think the answer is that um, that there is a cost associated at some level with the transactions. No. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead, Dave. You go. I'll, I'll take it from here. Just... <laughs> yeah, I mean, we pay we pay for people's fees. There's there's some spots in the game where you'll notice that there's kind of like maybe a weird cost. Like, for example, if you send an item to somebody else, we'll charge you one treat, which might seem like a really sort of strangely low price, and like, why is there a price there at all? 
and it's just because we actually, you know, we are paying for fees, and so we have to charge something. There has to be some kind of, like, opportunity cost within the game so that people can't just, like, literally spam transactions. So well, are you yeah. saying should, that there's a you point huge out, Jackson, treat that... horde that Duro Dogs, the Duro Dogs team has amassed? Is that what you're saying? I mean, we have Jackson, a lot of in context of, of, like, BSV fees are, like, so small, because this might be... Yeah, they are, but I want to hear about the tree horde, actually. That's the important part right now. Um, yeah, we have kind of... You might even be able to call it like a bottomless treat horde. Uh, we got treats for days. But don't worry. We're going to use them responsibly. All right, next question. There's another question coming in. Um, and I think you guys kind of addressed this earlier. The question is, is it okay if I make NFTs from my own Duro dogs? Yeah, we're going to make this. Yes. Sorry. We're going to make this a lot easier. So, yeah, we have uh, we have limited resources, and there's kind of a ton of stuff that's on a roadmap and things that we want to do that's not even on the roadmap yet. This is on the roadmap, is making a tool to make this much simpler. I think the the final version is like a no-code tool that anybody could use to make items. Right. Um, it won't be that to start, but we're working on it already. And we want to make it so that, you know, we already have some third-party items in the game. Uh, every company on this call has one of those. The woman of BSV released an item. We want to open that up to more people, um, which is really kind of like the whole ethos of what we're doing is we think Dro Dogs and ultimately this buzzword of the metaverse is a project too big for one company. So we need a lot of other people adding to it to make it... Um, as vibrant as I think people imagine it being. So short answer is yes. And uh, no timeline yet, but you know, soon TM. I think what, what you guys you were talking consider? about, hold on just a second. I think what you guys were talking about earlier in regards to the, the user experience of hand cash being so good that it disappears into the background also kind of abstracts away the concept that most of these things occurring within the Duro dogs games, right. Are tokenized right? That these things are NFTs. It just doesn't register the same way as it would on other platforms, uh, you know, s specifically Ethereum and MetaMask, because you aren't necessarily interacting with them as um, valued assets, right? Within a, within a marketplace and things like that. So it's hard, it's hard to necessarily think about it that way. But I think that the person was asking this question and I, I think what they were talking about perhaps also is like, um, you know, is there a way to further extend the tokenization of, of the NFTs of the dogs that they have, um, there's one other question they're asking. Can I play with multiple devices? Well, you could play with multiple devices, but you're going to need multiple logins, I think would be um, the answer to that one. Is any of that? I can't. Register? Yeah. Yeah. Let me add something. Um, so I, I don't want to answer for, uh, for Jack and Dave here. Um, I'm going to talk more about, you know, the run protocol on a technical level, but it's, Definitely possible in theory for third parties to um, build NFTs on top of dogs that are launched by Duro Dogs. Right. And um, 
you know, the way this would look is like, you know, maybe, maybe a company comes around and says, for anyone with a, with a dog, uh, we're going to let them buy a house. And they launch a house, they become the house provider. Now, where can you see your dog in your house? A different app, not Duro Dogs, but people can build collections on top of collections. Technically, this is, this is definitely possible. And, um, you know, I, I really would love to see that, too. It would be really cool to see. Um, the, I just want to mention one quick thing about the, the last question, too, which is about, um, you know, does Duro Dogs pay for all the fees? Um, I, I think it's really cool that they, they do this. And I, I want to say that CryptoFights um, also does this. Um, they pay for the, the fees for, um, you know, maybe not all, but many of the, the game moves, game transactions. You know, and I think it's and, cool that they pay for us to play this game, too. Well, it, the the economics work out. This is the important part. Is it, to this model as an example, because um, yes, that's a sunk cost for the the business. But if you can make this up in in other areas like fees for for trades, that's probably the best place. I think it works out. Um, but I, I would say on a protocol level, from the run protocol side, um, I think the fees are are way too high right now. And so actually we're working on an update to run that that will be one of the, the changes will be much, much smaller um, uh, metadata inside of every run transaction. It, it cuts it down to like where we're doing some math on like a token send, like just sending uh, an NFT from one person to another. And this would be very similar for like making a, a, a move in the game, any game. Um, we're talking like 50 bytes. If, if that doesn't register, like, it, it's uh, it's so small that it's almost the cost of just an actual BSV transaction, um, and and so that's really really important if your business is paying for transactions and and the run protocols is really shooting for that as a goal to have as cheap transactions as as possible, um, you know, on a blockchain. I think I think this is such an important uh, piece to actually scaling, and that's it is in the real world going to be completely um, unrealistic to expect consumers and end users uh, to consume these fees. I mean, it's, it's just not the world that we live in. I mean, any, any place that you go, the merchant is the one that is, you know, has the processing fees. Um, And you know, this is why you need extremely low cost. Uh, So for example, this is something that's happening in the background. We, We do plan to expose it at some point in the UI, but, you know, for every game that you play, uh, for example, in the Haste Arcade, we're actually we're writing the score data to chain, um, and we're subsidizing that cost because th- there was a time we were passing it along to the to the end user, but it's just like, no, it doesn't. The fees are so small that we can eat that cost, and I, I think that in order to reach, um, you know, in order to reach true adoption, like this has to be the case, and you know, if you're out there building. Keep that in mind because, I mean, the world that we live in, you know, you don't go and, you know, buy a cheeseburger uh, for, for lunch and, you know, pay, pay the fees that the, that the, the merchant owes for, for processing the, the payment. Um, so I, I just I wanted, to, I wanted to state how it's, it's a very, very important thing that merchants, that merchants do this and have the ability to do that because the fees are so small. You know what, Dan, you raised yeah. a really good point there too. And by extension, you might even start to, to look at the entirety of blockchain in the same capacity where you say like, okay, uh, you know, node operators, miners in general, um, anybody looking to build 
on top of blockchains, they're going to be willing to just pay the cost of, of interacting uh, with a blockchain as part of their IT or their financial compliance. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, are, are, are there any other are there any other questions? Because if if not, I was going to completely derail um, on a on a comment, but I don't I don't want to do that. If no, you, be there are no other NFT. there are no other questions no. coming in right now. Uh, so you know, feel free. We just had a, a no. Couple th- of this was good. This um this concept of subsidy has been on sort of my mind, and just like. Um, you know, if we ever do have uh, a government-regulated sort of, um, I would say, liquid uh, stablecoin on BSV, um, I just think that there were, you know, if you if you take someone like, if you take a platform like Handcash, who is really building tools and things for other developers and other merchants to build on. Um, you know, even there's, there's a, there's a scenario where even hand cash with processing tons and tons of payments in the future could subsidize those costs and then just build, build the developers and build the merchants, um, you know, at the end of the month. I mean, that, that's, that's sort of like how things work now. So like I get, we get our AWS bill, at the end of the month um, type of thing. And, you know, they're keeping track of all these transactions anyway. I just, yeah, the, the subsidy thing is, is interesting. Can I offer fees is uh, 100% on the Handcash's roadmap for can we, users. Can we, can we change the way we talk about it to abstracting away paying fees? Because, um, it, it offends my accountant brain that you're calling it subsidized because there's nuance difference there that you are charging, like you are making profit. So I think the distinction there is you're subsidizing, or sorry, yeah. you're abstracting, you're abstracting, abstracting away the fee. That's also part of it from like a, a UX point of view. So it's not just that it's shitty well, to like I, I think that's as a user. The, but that's the what, main, the main crux of it is you're abstracting it away so that it's not part of the UX. Even if you had okay. infinite money as a customer, it's like with throw dogs, were so every time you do a play action, and the XP increases, uh, that's written to the dog. So even if our customer had infinite money, Jeff Bezos is playing. It's like you don't want to, you don't want to have to like hit this paywall when you have your dog play dead that's just a terrible user experience yeah i I think think that's kind of the more important thing almost i think that's the all like that's the whole thing because if you it's only on other chains where there's gas fees that you actually pass that expense on to the consumer because you're not capable of taking that on as an expense yeah we would have had to pay like it's just an operating plus expense. million dollars already uh, on a theory. Right. Current it's just an operating that's expense. That's absolute, absolutely insanity. And yeah. to think that, like, I you should I really uh, pr- publish that as some kind of like public facing KPI. Like, here, here was, here's the equivalent in gas fees. I mean, we just processed a transaction with 1,100 NFTs in the trade. 
Um, I know that we've at, at times published like how much it would cost to spin on Ethereum. Uh, in this case, probably like 25 grand or more. Hundred grand, absolutely insane. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like grand. totally. Which is why those things are selling for. I mean, they they have to be speculative items that are worth fifty million dollars because who's going to eat the fee? You know, even on a single transfer, it's just like it's unworkable um, unless it's unless yeah. it's more efficient. You, you know, uh, tying this into outside blockchain world, if you were running like a social media app, let's say Facebook. Um, there's a concept called ARPU, avenue, average revenue per user. And this is basically the average um, amount of money your company makes, usually on ads in the case of Facebook or Google. Um, but however they make money, there's a uh, expected revenue the company's going to make per user. And so Facebook's like $20 or something like that, like pretty high. I think Snapchat's was like $3. But um, and, and that money, by the way, pays for, for infrastructure. So Facebook is very expensive to run. So um you know that that's that's where, where that money goes. But in in blockchain land, a certain amount of that you're going to have infrastructure definitely, but you're also these transaction fees, and you can consider them infrastructure costs if you want. But they, they basically get subtracted from your revenue per user. And so if you're making, if, I mean, two dollars per user is great. If you're making two dollars per user, how many transactions can you do with that on average per user? You got to do the math on that. And I think you'll see like um, that that's that's really good. You can do. You know, probably thousands of transactions uh, uh, a year on that, but we need to get the fees even lower because you know, ideally, it should be a non-issue. You, you shouldn't think about it. Um, so, and and I actually think you know, I know there's a lot of advertising people that are against advertising. I don't know if this is exactly what we're talking about here, but I don't think advertising is um, uh, maybe totally opposed to building on blockchain. I think you could have a a pay-to-earn app where um, you know, some of the fees are, you know, there's still an ad model um, that goes along with that. I don't, I don't think these are, are totally separate ideas. It's I've just never that. heard anyone be against that. I've seen people on, on different places say that, but I'm glad you said that. <laughs> um, I haven't heard people actually people. building stuff be against it. That's, well, that's, that's probably true. The yeah. people that are building stuff are, are looking for revenue streams in general, I would say. But it, in the sense that advertising... Uh, does have some compromise. I think that's that's generally understood. It'd be an interesting thing in haste if there was an ad version where some of that money was like if you could still do a, some version of ILP with the revenue that haste made from putting ads up, and then obviously you'd have the paid version next to it, just as like an A/B test. I wonder how people would value their time. When given the opportunity, to... I think your struggle is always going to be finding sponsors. If it's like, um, if it if Hayes basically said, "Hey, you don't have any money, but I'll pay you ten duro to watch this ad," um, just finding a sponsor that is on brand is going to be hard when they know only people seeing your ad is going to be people who are trying to get ten duro for watching your ad. Versus, you know, the more uh, efficient way, effective way nowadays, it's like targeted based on you know attributes and stuff. Uh, well, how is how is that different than like games in the app store where there's a free version and a paid version? Well, they have to do that because they don't have micropayments, and 
it's a deterrent. Like it's a. I, it, well, the, there's games where you can buy like the app. The paid app is a dollar, ad free. Yeah, and then yeah. So the people I, advertising to the non ver, non paid version are advertising the people that don't have a dollar to pay. Yeah, yeah, and all of those ads. Um, for me, if I was the one making a game, do I want those ads associated with my game? And this is just me being a snob because, like, I'll judge games quality based on kind of their revenue model and what kind of ads. I know if it's purely just like bottom of the barrel sponsors that that game is there purely to be like empty calories. From my experience, the ads in the free tier of games are often for other games, which is kind of funny because they want you to download their other game where they're going to try to convert you, but you didn't convert in the game that you originated in. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Uh, One quick aside, not to go back, but Niv, when you're talking about, or Britain, when you're talking about, um, you know, the revenue per user, I think it would be interesting also to point out the profitability because you could go on to Ethereum and say, you know, each user has like $10,000 in transactions, but the profit's going to be like less than a percent because all the transaction fees. Whereas you might say there's a $2 user, but the profit's 99%. It's an interesting, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You, you would want to, I'd be curious to publish this. I'd be curious, like, where, you know, Let's let's fast forward ten years from now, and uh, everything's a lot bigger than where it is. I'd be curious to do some for someone to do some studies on on um, first how does ARPU change in in a blockchain world where you can you know make money off of um, fees on trading, which depends on on the value of, of what's being traded. That's something that's something new, and um, and then but then you have this higher infrastructure costs in in the sense that you have these transaction fees. Um, answer and and all that you subtract those two and you get profitability um i don't i don't know where it'd be but i, I i'm looking forward to like 10 years from now we find out you know how, how does arpu change in a blockchain world and my my, my guess is that's going to be higher because there's more you know, just like google um the, the reason they're able to make money is it's your it's your place you go um on a on a regular basis to it's, it's your portal to other places well i, I think Oh, wallets and, and games on blockchain are portals to spending money. That's just what they are. Just like Amazon, the one-click button, it's so it's so easy to use that all of a sudden just makes their whole platform um, uh, more compelling. I think the same is true for blockchain, that once people get used to, to using it for trading and, and buying and selling stuff, um, there will be more monetization opportunities. But, yeah, we'll see. No, I totally agree. We So someone, one of our team members has been building kind of you know, really focused on growth, growth marketing, product related to growth in Silicon Valley companies, um, companies that we've all heard of for the last few decades, and really a pioneer in that industry. He saw the value in BSV for a number of reasons, but partially because of things like ARPU and just the challenge of getting someone to make their first payment. Basically, you know, it's really hard to get someone to pull out their credit card the first time. But once someone's already a paid user, it's a lot easier to upsell them. And so he saw a massive opportunity with things like hand cash or micropayments in general, where if the barrier to your first payment 
is much lower than you're, you're kind of skipping the hard part and getting right to the easy part, which is just upselling by providing more and more value. And I look at like Haste, for example. Taylor mentioned that you could see Haste as a competitor to us, although obviously I'd see it like that. But anyone that Haste gets to pull out their credit card and buy BSV, when they come to Duradogs, the friction for them to start making payments is so incredibly low that I expect like our percentage of paid users who have that origin is going to be so much higher than you know a, a comparable game that doesn't have access to something like a hand cash, and also vice versa, of course. Um, and so that's I, I think a big part of like. You know, if if I were going to suggest to someone to make a game that uses Duradox NFTs, that would be a big part of why is because, hey, even if we have fewer users than other communities you could be building inside of, our users are going to be able to start making payments inside of your game after one click. And that's just really, really new and really, really powerful. Um, and so I think that that's going to allow for apps that are connected to ecosystems like Handcash or Nifty Jigs or Haste uh, to really grow rapidly uh, compared to their counterparts. This advantage of once you convert a user in one app, um, your ability to drive revenue across any other app connected to this ecosystem is so much. You're making me think about the fact that uh, once you convert your dollars to chips in a casino, it's so much easier to spend them. Yeah, I mean, what if every time you were at the poker table, you had to swipe your credit card to make a bet? Or even worse, enter your credit card information. <laughs> that would suck. Uh, it would not be a very popular game, sure. And it would also be stupid for them to not, I mean... They'll take your chips if you want to buy a drink or buy food for money. Um, and they sell a lot more of everything. And we don't want to be, you know, a Vegas casino or anything. But the point is, there's a lot of purchases in life that actually provide value. There's a lot of people who play games, and they really should just pay the $1. Like, come on. Just pay the $1. You play this game every day. Why are you watching ads? You're just wasting your life. But there's just like a psychological thing and there's the payment friction and every time they make a payment, it's just a terrible experience. And so they just waste their time watching. And I'm really excited to be able to make it so dead simple to pay for things that no one's ever going to want to do that. Again. Uh, not to say ads are not acceptable. I think they are, but I just think that it's such a horribly inefficient use of everybody's time. Um, Revenue from ads is just not that meaningful, and the amount of time that a user spends and the value of that time that advertisement places is so low that I think that if we can just, I think that with these tools, we can really change the culture around ads, that that's both from like a bottom line standpoint, as well as from like a societal standpoint, I think it'd be one of the most profound changes of what we're trying to do here. Well, and it's not, it's not. Uh, extinguishing uh, advertising from 
games, I think what we're going to do is make it so much more effective in other targeted ways to where companies can go sell ad space or integrations, but it won't be, I don't, th- I, I don't want it to be in, um, we're going to pay you five duros for letting us show you this banner or this advertisement. Maybe that is, maybe that happens, but I just think there's so much more effective ways that are unlocked by everything we're building. Another, I mean, not to, not to overcomplicate things, um, but I mean, if you use the existing model that's, that's out there where, you know, free players are seeing ads and then it's like the incentive to get rid of the annoying ad is like, let me upgrade. But in this particular example, I could see a use case where it's, we haven't really given it a a ton of thought, to be honest. Um, We have discussed it at times, um, but you know, nothing in great detail, but just as I'm sitting here listening to everyone speak, something that, that could be potentially interesting would be like, we've, we've opened up games, you know, for, free players to be able to come in and, and, and play if you're, if you're, you know, you haven't connected your hand cash wallet yet or something like that. But our, our, our ne- the next iteration that we're going to be releasing where we've spent a ton of time actually thinking um, at, at a very granular level about the onboarding experience and, and about the different types of users that we're going to be onboarding a potential, like, I guess place like ad placement opportunity would be, for those new users that haven't connected a hand cash wallet yet, right? Like it's like, Hey, we don't, we don't actually need you to spend money to get rid of these annoying ads. We just want you to over that hurdle of let's get you a hand cash wallet so that you can, you can start earning, right? Like, because I think again, that's, that's still a barrier to entry. Like you're coming to a platform to game in most scenarios, you're not leaving the platform. Like if I go create, you know, a Roblox account for the kids or whatever, um, you know, th- this idea of having to go to a third party a- as a part of that experience uh, can can be a, a bit of a challenge. But I don't know. That's a the ad the ad thing is interesting in that context. Yeah, I think the um, upsell to a subscriber base or to a, to to becoming a subscriber is probably um, a good a good mechanism. So, hey, we've been going for about an hour and a half. Uh, probably going to wrap it up here. If you guys have any final thoughts or comments that you didn't want or didn't get to express, but that you do want to express, let's take that time now. Uh, I'll go first. Um, Brenton, let's be friends. This first time we've talked, but uh, it's a shame. <laughs> I agree. Uh, let's hang out sometime. Okay. Come shoot guns with me. I, I saw your pictures and I got a little jealous. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was like, I'm so close. I could just drive down to, to meet you guys. So we'll do that. Brent, where, Brent, are you still in Los Angeles or? No, I, I'm in the Jackson Hole, Wyoming, basically. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I still got ties to California. So actually my wife's there right now. I go back pretty often. I got a kid on the way. So um, maybe that'll be on pause for a little bit later this year. But uh yeah, I'm, I'm back in California relatively often, but no, I'm in the Jackson Jackson area. Did you ever Are spend you, any, just tangent? Did you ever spend any time in the South Bay? Because I'm I'm in Manhattan Beach. Yeah, I mean, I would go down there a lot. In fact, um, Joshua Hensley he used to have business down. Um, he's, he's a guy in the space for people who don't know. He used to have business down down there, and so I'd actually drive down and meet him. And actually, I didn't know you were down there too. Um, I mean, 
beautiful area. I still loved living there uh, a lot. I just, you know, I, I think we can save some money where we are right now, but um, That's, I, I got to make it down there. I'd love to. No doubt about that. Um, but yeah, man, if you're ever, if you're ever this way, give me a shout. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, hey, I uh, appreciate you guys taking the time. I got one thing to say what do you, before oh, we wrap up here. We'll go ahead. Yeah, so a lot of the tools that we're building, plan is ultimately we want other people, things that we use to build throw dogs, rough runner. We want these to be fully open um, and just accessible where you don't really need to, to get in touch with us. You can just build. That's not the case today, but we are, you know, we want to start building um this group of people that want to build games. If you played Rough Runner and you were like, yeah, that was cool, but I can make something better using those assets, uh, let's do it. So get in touch with us if you think you're a better game dev than us and we want you to be so you can make a really profit, make some money, and add some value to the user base. Uh, but not in an altruistic way, in a way that can benefit and uh, bring in some BSV while we're still at these low prices. So... Get in touch with uh, with me at Dave uh, Dave at UnboundedEnterprise.io, and we can start the conversation and get some people building. Or contact him on Twitter. Hey, thanks for the conversation, guys. Uh, been a good one. Very happy to to hear from you all and put you all together in the same room to hash this stuff out. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, in, thanks in for coordinating in the listening space.